This is Gandhi saying, be the change you wish to see in the world. The best thing that any one of us can do to create a peaceful world is to be peaceful people. And that requires meditation, study, and mindfulness. That's how you become peace. That's how you promote peace. That's how you make this a peaceful world. And other people will look at you, be inspired, and say, I want some of that. Beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It's the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. This podcast from Michael Benner's Wisdom of the Soul class features weekly lessons in metaphysics, mysticism, and esoteric philosophy. Those who attend live and free of charge on Zoom may also participate in group meditation and Q&A. Register for our newsletter at michaelbenner.com. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Well, good morning and welcome to Wisdom of the Soul, brought to you by the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. When you're searching on the internet, whether it's our YouTube channel or your favorite podcast player or anything else, Ageless Wisdom Mystery School, my primary website is michaelbenner.com. I don't mention it often, but uh, I probably should. I do have three or four spots a week that I hold open for a free intake session, a private, personal, one-on-one intensive, really, or an introduction to the counseling and training programs that I do. So if you're ever interested in that, we work mostly with self-awareness and anxiety disorders. I do couples counseling. I just started a couple uh, the other day. And, uh, of course, it's all confidential. I won't talk about you <laughs> on the Zoom class or the radio or, or anything like that. And uh, think of it as a Goldilocks solution. That's what I call it. It's like right in the middle between psychotherapy and life coaching. It's, it's much more comprehensive than life coaching. Now, most life coaches took a weekend training and call themselves a life coach. I've been doing this 40 years. And uh, I think you probably know I did a breakthrough self-awareness training for the Orange County Sheriff's Academies for for several years, Orange County, California, which I'm real proud of, and uh, worked with hundreds of clients personally. And maybe you, if you want to try that free intro, just go to uh, michaelbenner.com, and there's a big red circle. You can't miss it. Click on that, and you'll be able to schedule yourself. And again, we're on all podcast players, and uh, we have a YouTube channel as well. I really appreciate it when you can join us live. So a special howdy to folks who are with us this morning. Happy Easter, Passover, Ramadan. They all sort of come together, as is the unrest in the Middle East, unfortunately. And as you probably know, especially if you're here live and getting our newsletter, I want to talk about sacred activism this week. To be a spiritual activist or practice sacred activism is not to get involved in politics. Um, 
before we do our opening meditation, I want to set the tone. The idea that we have to look at all of our issues, uh, social issues, issues of war and peace, all of our problems of various levels and tiers of government, through a political lens is absurd. This is uh, an enigma that I discovered as a journalist early on in my career. I graduated college with a degree in journalism and broadcast management. I worked my way through college as a broadcast journalist, actually. Um, I, waved. <laughs> I was able to waive a number of college classes because I was already working in the field. But the idea that everything is political is promoted by politicians and accepted by people who don't really want responsibility for educating themselves and finding alternative ways of taking action. I think the same thing could be said for religion. In many ways, religion, organized religion, is for people who don't have the time or are not willing to take the time to study theology and philosophy on their own, which is not a bad thing. You know, you're busy. You don't have hours every week to devote to the study of political issues or religious issues. So you vote for a politician and wash your hands of it, or you leave it to the church and you line up with one of a uh, hundred different denominations. Actually, I actually I googled not long ago how many denominations call themselves Christian, just Christian alone, and I thought I'd get thirty or forty. Uh, Google says there are forty-three thousand denominations of Christianity. Now, I I don't know how they arrive at that number, but it is believable, you know, and few of them get along especially the more conservative, they get very rigid and dogmatic. My Jesus! <laughs> it's like Northern Ireland, you know? If you're a Catholic or a Protestant, you don't love Jesus in the right way. They're going to blow your brains out. And it's really not funny, but forgive the nervous laughter. So, I remember when I started at ABC Radio on KLOS and doing a late-night show, an old-timer there pulled me aside before my first show, and he said, Now, remember, the two things you never talk about on this talk show is religion and politics. And I said, What does that leave? <laughs> That's all we talk about is religion and politics. But it's because the politicians and the religious leaders are so presumptuous in embracing all of these issues, like, we can't study morality, for example, or ethics, or, or, or virtues, unless it's in line with a specific uh, religion. And that's nonsense. It's just, we can be ethical people. We can, uh, you know, uh, practice uh, our own understanding of morality and, and ethics without having to be part of some organized religion. So sacred activism comes out of mysticism, which is basically a solo or small group effort. And uh, that's what I'd like to talk about today. How can we as spiritual seekers, as aspirants, as those who 
wish to grow ourselves spiritually, morally, ethically, uh, how can we involve ourselves in the great issues of the day, the work for justice, and do it in a way that impacts politics, but without having to play the political game, to really stand above the lurid nature of politics and its binary, uh, the way it's shackled itself to binary thinking. How about if I say it that way? Uh, all or nothing. It's just maddening to an intelligent, creative person to have to deal with. You're either with us or against us. I'm sorry, man, but last time I opened up a crayon box, there were a lot of different colors in that box. And there are not just shades of gray, but whole rainbows between everything and nothing. Also, I'd like to talk about the difference today between following your mind and following your heart, although both are always involved. So we'll touch on some of that. And basically, what can we do to be more effective, to work for peace, to wage peace? and work for justice in all the different areas that I'm going to touch on today. So that's my agenda, and uh, I hope that intrigues you enough that you'll be able to stay with us throughout today's session. Let's begin with our opening meditation. So if you get comfortable in your chairs or on the furniture, bed, sofa, meditation pillow on the floor, wherever you happen to be seated. Moving toward the waking state in three, eyes open now, wide awake, eyes open now, back in the room, feeling fine, rested, refreshed, <laughs> feeling better than before, much better than before, eyes open, back in the room, better than before. Alrighty, good. When you do something like that, a meditation like that, sit quietly, reflect on it, then it gets simple again. It also helps, I find, in my life, to reread what you think you already know. Words that have been written and said by the great thinkers, women and men, who have inspired us by writing about peace and justice. It's the animal nature in us that will fight and kill for survival. If you look in nature, there is an elevated perspective where all of the violence is seen as harmonious and where animals consuming other animals could even be seen as a kind of transmutation or transfiguration or transcendence. You know, the hawk takes the rabbit. Well, instead of thinking of the rabbit dying, uh, the rabbit sacrificed its body that the hawk may live, and now together the consciousness of the rabbit and the hawk soar. The rabbit flies. And uh, if we just think of evolution 
Well, the whole idea of advancing through reincarnation, transmigration, karma, recognizing the impermanence and the cyclic nature of things. I'm often reminded personally of the ethic of the indigenous peoples of America, which uh, the, the two parts that I think of are, number one, when the uh, hunter, Native American hunter, drew his bow on a deer or an elk or a bison, he would ask the spirit of the animal to guide the arrow. So if he missed, he missed. So be it. The animal was, was not willing to give itself. But if the arrow found its mark, or the spear, or the rock, and uh, he took the animal's life, the affirmation that was commonly said by the, by the hunter was, you shall live in me. Now, you don't find that ethic in factory farming, <laughs> right? Where animals are treated inhumanely, and uh, even the so-called cage-free chicken, for example, is grown in, in barns and these giant airplane hangar-type buildings, so overcrowded they can barely move around. That's called cage free. Not like uh, they're running around in the pasture, you know, eating ladybugs and insects. And they're still grain fed, and I don't need to go on about that, but it's hardly a humane way to raise animals for, uh, for meat consumption or for dairy or for eggs or whatever. But the ethic of you shall live in me is very different. And if you are a meat eater and you go to the grocery store and you grab that, uh, that pack of chicken or that fish or that ground beef or whatever, because uh, you feel you need to have that in your diet. I mean, this is a time of Ramadan. This is a time of fasting. And in Islam, if you feel that you're not able to fast because you're ill or you've been injured or you have some dietary restriction, you know, there's nobody that's going to come and admonish you for your inability to fast. Uh, and so it is with vegetarianism. And somebody feel you go to an Indian restaurant, they're mostly vegetarian restaurants, but there's some meat there. It's, it's not. The eating of the meat, it's like your attitude about it. If you, if you appreciate that the animal gave its life for you and you have a way of knowing that the animal was raised humanely and had a happy life and didn't suffer and wasn't tortured, that makes eating meat a whole different thing. It's just not an either-or. I guess that's part of what frustrates me when I hear people debate this kind of stuff is as soon as we get angry, this bears very much on our class today. Soon as we begin to, you know, put that fight or flight thing going, awareness is shattered, 
we get very binary, very all or nothing. All the variations and combinations and permutations, they just all fall away. And it's like the blinders go on and you just, it's everything or nothing. It's my way or the highway. And you disagree to any degree and you're wrong. And as the voices rise and people get more upset, that becomes even more entrenched because the brain thinks this isn't just boyfriend, girlfriend arguing or married couples or, you know, guys at the club or whatever arguing with each other. This is survival. This is your, your, your best friend, your partner, your lover, your spouse, your kids, your parents are now the enemy. They're, they're a monster coming to devour you as far as the brain's concerned. If we're going to be sacred activists and spiritual warriors, we have to avoid that level of emotional upset, don't you see? To create peace, you must come from a peaceful place. This is the first point, the biggest point. That I, this is this is start here. This <laughs> peace begets peace, right? So. What do you do when you get frustrated and angry and when you hate hateful people? Isn't this a dilemma? Well, I'd love some feedback and comment on this when we get to the Q&A. The way emotions are so contagious. It's not just emotions. It's all kinds of behavior. You go into a room and yawn. Other people will begin to yawn. <laughs> even if they're not sleepy or tired, even if they haven't yawned in a year. It's a suggestion. If you start giggling for no reason, other people will start to giggle and laugh and chuckle and wonder. They have no idea what's funny. I saw some funny uh, YouTube videos the other day. It's called the uh, Invisible Danger Prank. Have you seen any of these? People set up a camera for the purpose of recording a video of the whole thing. And like there's usually two people in a room and one of them, the one who's setting up the prank, suddenly gets terrified and jumps up as if there's a snake or a rat or, or some great danger afoot and they jump up and start to scream and you watch the reaction of the other person and they immediately become as afraid as the first person and they jump and they scream and they go, what is it? And they're up on the furniture and then one goes running outdoors, the one that created the prank and the other one goes running outdoors. What? what, what? <laughs> but they're both as emotions are contagious. I mean, we're really one, right? We're all one. So it's understandable that 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 would happen. Well, peace is also contagious, don't you see? This is Gandhi saying, be the change you wish to see in the world. The best thing that any one of us can do to create a peaceful world is to be peaceful people. And that requires meditation, study, and mindfulness. That's how you become peace. That's how you promote peace. That's how you make this a peaceful world. 
And other people will look at you, be inspired, and say, I want some of that. Because the first thing that flows from peace is happiness. How could you be happy if you're not peaceful? You see, how can you have love and happiness if you're upset? So the best thing you can do to promote peace is be peace, be peaceful, be relaxed. And that's a positive upward spiral. We talk about the vicious cycle of fear and ignorance. The way uncertainty, ignorance is a harsh word, lack of awareness, lack of understanding. I don't like using stupid or ignorant, but they're really good words. Obtuse. How about just uncertainty, unawareness, the absence of understanding? Well, that's a frightening place to be, isn't it? That's scary. But the thing about scary, fear, anxiety, stress, worry, doubt, nervousness, apprehension to panic and back, horror, terror, or mildly nervous, little or a lot, it's confusing. And so now you know even less. You're more mixed up and more confused because of all your, your fear and anxiety, right? Which is adding now to the fear, which makes you more ignorant and more afraid and more ignorant and more afraid. That's a downward spiral sucking you down like one big toilet flush. Well, the complement to that is love and understanding which is also cyclic, each promotes the other, but it's a upward spiral. It's progressive. It's evolutionary. It's unfolding. It's redemption. It's ascension. Easter Sunday, we'll talk about the true meaning of ascension, refinement, self-realization. <laughs> There's a lot of words for self-improvement, because peace promotes understanding. The more peaceful you are, you all know what test anxiety is, performance anxiety, right? Where you know the material, you know you know the material, but the pressure of the test causes you to blank out. Part of that whole fight-or-flight response, shutting down the frontal lobes and the cortex to bring online the primitive brain of fight-or-flight survival. So, peace promotes understanding, brings that frontal higher brain functions online, and you get smarter, and you get more insight, you see the bigger picture, it's like, oh my God, I see what's going on here. That allows you to breathe and relax, and know deep peace of mind, inner peace, which promotes more understanding and more peace, more understanding. And out of this comes the whole idea of justice and a recognition that working for the greater good is not a sacrifice. You're part of the greater good. So when you work for peace in the world, when you work for justice, everybody benefits, including you. It's not like, Oh, by giving up my self-interest and 
being more concerned about society at large, I'm going to lose out. I'm making this big sacrifice to abandon my self-interest. Nonsense. That's either or thinking. That's the binary thinking of the frightened person that promotes self-interest because they think it's either you or me. It can't be you and me. Because they're in too much danger to see you and me. So, how do we uplift this world from a you-or-me world to a you-and-me world? To be the change we want to see in the world. Now, before I go to q and I want to talk about a few timely situations that concern me. The division in America, people talk about civil war. We're already in a civil war. Only instead of the South firing on Fort Sumter and uh, the Confederacy forming armies and the Union lining up and having these insane uh, battles with muskets, most of the shooting that's happening in the Civil War in America now is happening in schools, in churches, in shopping malls, in movie theaters. More than three-quarters of the mass shooters are far-right extremists. I won't say they're all Trump people, but... Uh, how do you say it? Not all Republicans are fascists, but all fascists have found comfort in what remains of a once grand old party. You know, there used to be liberal Republicans. There really were. I'm old enough to remember that. And Republicans and Democrats worked together. But Something started with Nixon, and then Newt Gingrich, and then when Trump rose to power, building on Nixon's Southern strategy and the Obama being from Kenya stuff, uh, then it began to accelerate to the point that we're, we're in a civil war now. It's just one side has all the guns and they're shooting randomly at innocent people. Not all the mass shootings are politically motivated, but more than you realize, the media is constrained in reminding us that these shooters have neo-Nazi literature whether, whether they include Trump hats and Trump memorabilia or not, it's most of it around white supremacy. And this fear that a small group of Caucasians have that a true democracy is going to eliminate their inherent superiority. I say this as a white man. I'm as white as white as white can be other than the fact we're all from Africa, if you go back far enough. but And it, it, uh, it breaks my heart. But as I said in the newsletter and earlier today, as spiritual warriors 
and sacred activists. That's how you know you're doing it right if your heart is broken again and again and again. The good side of a broken heart when it comes to these kinds of issues is it prevents the heart from becoming concretized and inflexible. And then you become heartless, just like the people that are terrifying us or trying to terrify us. You don't want to be heartless. You want your heart to be flexible and vulnerable and break easily. It's a good thing to have a broken heart. But you don't let it stop you. You move directly into that. So you feel the pain of the broken heart, but you do not suffer because you continue to step forward peacefully, nonviolently, seeking justice for one and all. These are pretty basic, fundamental American values. Peace and justice for all. We're not criminalizing the government to prosecute criminals who chose to get into politics. And Trump is just a symbol. He's just a symbol. It's so easy to be compassionate for this guy because he's so tormented. He suffers so much. Such a broken man you saw last Tuesday in that courtroom. And all the bravado and the bullying and the mean, nasty talk from this man. I know it's frightening. He scares me sometimes. <laughs> he scares me sometimes, too. All of that is pathos. It's just so sad that he is so terrified and torments himself so, but would never admit it. And the people around him are just, just looking for power. That's all they want. But it's the power that comes from a willingness to do anything, to crush people, to do whatever they need to do to get to their positions of power in government, in corporations, in churches, wherever they seek local school boards, banning books. These are the book burners. These are people that are more afraid to have a book about the life of Rosa Parks in the school than a weapon of war. They want to protect their children from books describing America's history of racism but not protect them from weapons of war. It's insane. This is not a political argument. This is a mental health issue. This is what happens when people counsel fear. So, the two young black men that were expelled from the House of Representatives, the State House in Tennessee, it just lit a fire. This is big. This will be in the history books. If you didn't appreciate the uh, the timing of all of this and, this and the symbolism of all of this, the significance of this, you might just see it as another episode, another event in a long history of injustice in this country, of racism this bold racism. But as many of the pundits have said this week, increasingly the ultra-right, the neo-fascists, are doing away with the dog whistles and the coded language, and now it's just blatant Jim Crow. 
and uh, being uppity is a thing in Tennessee, right? We're not going to have these these uppity black men thinking that they've got a right to stand up and talk. We'll shut off their mics <laughs> because we can, right? I know a racist when I see one. So do you. This is stone-cold racism, nothing else. And if you consider yourself a human, you don't have to be a civil rights activist, just a living, breathing being, you're going to want to fight racism. And how do you do that? Peace and justice, nonviolently, as Gandhi and Dr. King and Thich Nhat Hanh have opposed injustice and, and other great teachers. Christ, you know, say for Christ's sake, Jesus was very clear about this. Blessed are the peacemakers, those who seek righteousness and justice and, and uh, forgive them, but they know not what they do. That, to me, is the message of Calvary, not your blood washing away the sins of the world and all of that. The message of Calvary on this Easter Sunday is, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They're just ignorant and foolish and frightened. That's what fuels the right. That's why they have all the guns. They're terrified. Tell a gun owner he has guns because he's frightened. He'll get angry. He'll freak out. So maybe you shouldn't tell him, but... Why all the guns, boys? You don't see liberal Democrats doing mass shooting. Steve Kalis got took out by some progressive Bernie Sanders supporter, but the exception proves the rule. The war against women. The war against health care. The suppression of women by the right by the religious right, another area that we need to focus on. So part of white supremacy includes the repression of women. It's just old-fashioned authoritarianism. It's patriarchy. I don't need to teach you about patriarchy or racism. And then the third area, is the fight for democracy itself. And it's not just the United States. France is on the verge of becoming a fascist country. Hungary, Turkey, these are NATO allies that are autocratic governments already. The swing to the right in America is terrifying. The people of Wisconsin just elected a, by, I think it was 15 points, a well-educated progressive uh, justice to their high court. And because Republicans in the House of Representatives, the state house in Wisconsin have a supermajority, they're already talking about impeaching her. She hasn't even done anything yet, but it's just this blatant raw grab for power. Please, don't believe that you have to get involved in politics to fight this stuff. Do it with intelligence and compassion. 
come from peace and a heartfelt desire for justice. Be the change that you want to see in the world, and that is the most important, most subversive thing you can do. Beyond that, educate yourself. Reach out. Walk. March. Petition. Join groups. Protest. Boycott. Write letters. Call right-wing radio talk shows. Most of them won't take your call, but every once in a while, there's one you could find. Letters to the editor, I guess I said that. Whatever, everything. Educate your children who don't care. Or let them educate you. Don't let your friends just be racist morons. But don't argue with them. Ask questions. Ask questions. It is so, such a powerful form of argumentation to stay peaceful, breathe, stay calm, don't oppose, watch your body language, don't even sit opposite people, sit at an angle so they don't feel so threatened, right? Be smarter than they are. And ask them why they believe what they believe. And when they answer, ask them another question, like, like you're me on the radio interviewing people, right? Or, or your favorite interviewer. Ask questions. And you don't even need to respond. You just, oh, I see. And then maybe play it back so they feel heard and understood. Model the kind of behavior that you would like to see in other people. And they're going to go, wow, I disagree with that person. But I sure would like some of whatever they got. They are so cool and never get rattled. And they seem to be really well-read and smart. A lot of the fear on the right is that they fear they're being looked down on for not being well-educated. The so-called low-information voter. He thinks we're the well-educated concerned people are making them feel inferior. They're bringing their sense of inferiority to the to the conversation and then blaming us for it. So we're elite because we read books. It doesn't make you an elitist that you read. But you don't want to rain it off of them either. Like, well, if you'd only graduated from community college, maybe you'd understand. You can't talk like that. It's like, why do you believe this? Why do you feel that way? Well, what are your concerns? What are, what are the solutions of the far right? What do you think they can do for you? How can they help you? You're electing billionaires. You think, do you have some evidence they really care about you? Use questions. Use questions.